Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Welcome everyone to episode 51 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Miguel Lugo, Chief Operating Officer at EC Kitzel & Sons. Miguel, welcome to the show. Happy Friday morning. We both got our coffee. We're ready to have a conversation. How are we doing? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to our conversation, man. Let's jump right in. You have a pretty unbelievable story, and it really shows the the promise of career advancement in manufacturing, which I don't think is a story that is is told in a really clean way right now. So I want to hear it from you. Tell us about your story from starting on the production floor at Talent Products to becoming the COO of a manufacturing company. Yes. So I started at Talent in 2003 as a general laborer and quickly moved into operating and setting up automatic presses. By 2006, I led a department of 13 employees called the Term Bar Department there that made pierced aluminum extrusion termination bars for the roofing industry. Um, In 2009, I was promoted to production scheduler slash supervisor. As a scheduler, I released production orders to maintain safety stock levels and fulfill customer requirements. I also performed capacity planning and scheduled the workforce as needed. In 2011, I was promoted to plant manager and tool room manager. As a plant manager, I led the manufacturing team with an emphasis on safety, collaboration, culture, and continuous improvement. I was responsible for 38 employees at that time. Under my leadership, we developed a NIMS-based training curriculum, and we performed many Kaizen events throughout the manufacturing plant. In the tool room, I led daily activities as well as supervised all die builds from design to production phases. In 2022, I decided to pursue my dreams of entrepreneurship. So I joined EC Kitzel as COO and as a partner, um, and I'm the successor to the current owner and president, Tom Sheen. All right, man. So in classic fashion, you know, you're extremely humble in how you got here. I, I need to know what got all those promotions. You know what I mean? What what led to going from managing four people to 13 people to 38 people? You know, how did that happen? Um, you know, just hard work and my focus on leadership. I think that's where a lot of my success came in, where a lot of people run from issues or adversity. I was running towards the issues and adversity. I just saw them as opportunities to provide leadership, even in areas where I didn't um, have experience or know a lot about what was happening. I chose to seek out the people who did know or do my own research and just get really educated on what that issue was. And a lot of times provide a lot of ideas, provide solutions, or just facilitate conversations with team leaders to facilitate some of those solutions. I love it. What would your advice be to someone who just got started in their manufacturing career as it relates to your journey? Let's say someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years, I want to be where you are. You know, what advice are you giving them? And and it does happen. People ask me that. And I just say, work really hard, becoming a subject matter expert in your field, whether it's leadership, being a production operator, a die maker, welding, machining, whatever it is, work on being the best producer you can be, uh, the strongest technical person you can be. Be patient 
you know, at 20 years old, I was in a hurry. I felt like I was going nowhere. I was running a machine. I knew that's not what I wanted to do. I'm like, I'm smarter than this. I, I, I should be doing more. But now I'm 40 years old, part owner of my own manufacturing company and will be full owner, you know, in, in about five years. So, you know, at 40 years old, the way I look at it is if I live to 80, I have 40 more years. If I've done this in 40, I'm really looking forward to the next 40. So that's a real positive way for a young person to look at it. So if someone's 20, I say, you have 60 years ahead of you. Slow down. Yep. Enjoy the process. Enjoy every moment. Enjoy learning. Focus on what's in front of you and get really good at that. And just understand that that's just a phase and you will continue to move up. Invest in yourself. You know, that's something I felt like I had to do. If I wanted to be the best at whatever position I was in, being the best means there's no role model for you to look up to. You have to look at the collective team. You have to learn from everyone, but then you also have to invest in yourself by, you know, I just became very obsessive and I still am. When I want to learn something or I want to be the best at something, I just become obsessive. I go home and invest in myself by taking courses, doing research on the internet on a specific subject and come back to the team. Most of the time I was the one coming back with, hey, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've found. And then it sparks the team's energy again to uh, refocus on the issue we were trying to solve. And yeah, the last one is just, you know, enjoy the process. So be patient and enjoy the process. That's a really, really good point. And it's so hard to listen and, and fully absorb the be patient part of it, right? Because I think in the beginning of our career, we we don't know so much and we're obsessed with this final destination or this final product. And I would say probably around right now. So I'm 33. I don't know when it clicked for you, but it's clicking that the the des- the journey is the destination. You know what I mean? Enjoying the process, enjoying where you're at and like being where your feet are. That's so important. It's hard in the beginning. It's a very hard concept like patience. What do you mean? I'm 20. I want to do what I want. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do it. You know what I mean? It's hard to comprehend. So if you do get it, I think that puts, you know, if there is a 20, 21, 22 year old out there that is patient and sees the long game, I think that puts them ahead of the curve uh, amongst their peers. One of the things that helped me is money is, it's important, but I try not to put a bigger focus on that than my personal, you know, satisfaction in my work and the leadership I was providing and in what I defined as success. And naturally, money was never an issue. So sometimes money can be a distraction because we're so focused on the money aspect. If we work really hard and focus on being the best we can be, which leads to personal satisfaction, which leads to happiness, which is my ultimate goals. I just want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want my family to be happy and healthy. The money will take care of itself, you know? And so there's no, I, I never had a goal of I want to make X amount. I have friends that, you know, by this year, I want to make X amount. I never had that as a goal. Those kind of things, I just trusted that they would take care of themselves if I just worked hard and made the right decision. Yep, 100%. I love it. So in 2021, you were named a Cranes Newsmaker of the Year for being one of the heroes of the COVID pandemic. You know, going to work every day, obviously, despite the the clear risks presented by COVID. What did that award mean to you and your team? I think awards are important. At the time, I just jumped in and did whatever needed to be done. So the point I'm making is I wasn't applying for any kind of award or anything, but it was rewarding. Um, You know, working through that period, 
at one of the proudest times in my leadership career. COVID-19, you know, the political landscape, big events in America like George Floyd and the riots that happened after presented challenges for many leaders. I chose to step into that leadership wherever it was required, whether it was at home, at work, in my personal life with friends, coworkers, and family. Our country was divided, and I chose to do my part, be kind, and bring people together. And I have a lot of success stories of where I was able to bring friends together who were you know, going back and forth over uh, politics or their positions on specific issues. Same thing at work with coworkers, um, peers. So for me, that was a really proud moment. And then as a team at Talon, we really went above and beyond. Many employees, you know, including myself, stated that we felt safer when we were in the plant than anywhere else we were visiting. And that was through the hard work of the entire team. We collaborated very well. We supported one another. So there was obviously fear during that time. Um, and for the people who were at risk and very fearful, uh, we supported them being able to stay home. Some of them weren't able to perform their jobs from home, but we still supported that and even paid some people to be off for a period of time while we waited and seen what was going to happen. Um, so everyone played a role. We had, you know, initially daily COVID meetings where we looked at, you know, data and trends and we made the best decisions as a company. We didn't look at what everyone else was doing. We said, what do we need to do to make sure everyone feels safe? When I say feel safe, that's different than leaders getting together and saying, we're doing this and that's best practice and everyone's safe. We had to listen to people and listen to their fear and whether it seemed like something that was nothing to one of us, I felt like it was my duty as a leader to hear them out and make whatever accommodations necessary to make everyone feel safe at work. So I'm very proud to have been part of that team you know, big shout out to the talent team. Love you guys. I'm very proud to have been with that team during that time. And then during that period at work and outside of work, it was just a very proud time of my life as a leader. Because um, there was definitely a need for strong leadership in all areas. Um, I embraced that. And a lot of my relationships have really gone to a different level. Uh, because of the leadership I was able to provide during that time. Well, kudos to you, man. I, you know, I think we could have used that in a lot of different areas and a lot of different parts of the country, and that was not everybody's reaction. So, you know, congratulations to you and the team on the award. Thank you for listening to the Rust Belt Rundown. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Rust Belt Rundown. For our listeners, give us the background and history of EC Kitzel and & Sons and the type of products that you guys are manufacturing. EC Kissel & Sons is an industrial cutting tool supplier with a focus on PCD, which is short for polycrystalline diamond. It's a synthetic diamond and CBN cutting tools. Kissel was founded in 1927 by Edward Carl Kitzel, a master tool maker. After several family generations, Tom Schumann, who's, who was employed with Kissel since 1984, purchased the company in 2015. Tom is our president. He's very engaged in the community. He serves on several manufacturing advocacy boards and is really passionate about legacy. That's how I've become engaged with 
uh, Kitzel, Tom and I, we've networked for many years through some of these advocacy groups and working in trade schools. And today I'm his successor. So I'm really enjoying the process. It's going well. And I hope that one day we can write a success story of what succession should look like. Yeah, I have no doubt you'll be writing that story whenever you would like to at some point in the next, like you said, 40 more years. Who knows where, where that's going to take you. Talk to us about your role as COO, because you know, COO can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different companies, but I don't know if everyone understands what it means at a manufacturing company. So what is that? What does your day-to-day look like? So as COO and successor, I have a lot of responsibility um, and that's growing every day as we transition. We're responsible for pretty much all of the operations um, from finance, sales, quality, uh, engineering, production, hiring, accountability, allocating resources, make investments, and equipment, you know, our processes, also strategic planning. You know, I also self-implemented EOS. Oh, nice. Um, so I've been very busy in the last year. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the buck, the buck stops with you, right? I mean, all the, all the issues, all the problems, all the good things as well, but you're kind of the final decision maker on, on everything, which can easily take up, you know, your day, your week, your month, as I can imagine. I want to talk a little bit about workforce development as it relates to both of the organizations that you've been at Talon and now uh, obviously Kitzel. What have you learned as it relates to workforce development in your last two roles? And and what are some of the best practices that you've seen, um, whether it's in the Northeast Ohio area uh, or just within your two organizations? You know, I learned how critical culture and workforce development are to the success of an organization. You know, employees who are bad culture fit really slow you down. Mm -hmm. And they have a negative impact on growth of a company and of, of the team. They're bringing some of your top performers down. So it's really important to know who those people are and not ignore that and you know work on that. Workforce development is also crucial. It's becoming more difficult to hire people that have the skills you need or that your company needs. We're very niche, um, so it's going to be very hard to find someone who was in this trade. And it was the same thing at Talent. You know, when we were looking for skilled press operators, we learned that they just weren't out there. We're going to have to develop our own. And it's also crucial for employee retention. People want to, you know, they want careers. People are not looking for jobs. They want stability. They want growth. They want to see where they're going. We talked about that patience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A a lot of uh, employees our age and younger don't have that patience. And it might be, that might be here to stay. It's, It's not a bad thing because that means they're very ambitious, right? And yep. if under the right leadership. Yeah, I think to your point, as long as they know they can see it and it's laid out and it's like, hey, you have to be patient, but if you do these things, this is where you'll be. If that's communicated to them, then, I mean, that's it. And that's not always the case. So that, that's a good point. And it leads to my second part of, uh, you know, the, the answer to the second part of that question. So best practices, you know, at Talent, when we couldn't find skilled employees, I, I pivoted. I just quit looking and quit having those conversations. And I said, we need to develop our own. So pulled the team together of our best operators um, and best employees and gave them a vision and said, we want to create a curriculum. We want to create the best way, the only way that we're going to train people. We're all going to train the same way. And then we're all going to perform these tasks the same way so that we have a standard and it becomes easier to train people because mm-hmm. there's not six, seven different ways. It can get confusing. You don't know who you should be following or how you should do something. And then mistakes happen that set you back. Yep. Um, so we developed a training curriculum um, 
by just watching some of our high performers work, conduct their tasks, asking questions, having conversations and figuring out which is the best way, documenting that, and then use those very employees to help us train new employees. And we got very good at it. That good results. We developed all our own operators. Within three to four weeks, they were running machines. Uh, they were more efficient, more productive. There was less mistakes. And they were very appreciative of the opportunity provided to them, how much money they were able to make, and they seen a career path. So it also helped with recruiting new employees. Our partners that we were uh, partnering with to recruit started promoting for us. Hey, if you go to talent, they're going to invest in you. Within a year, you can make it. They have success stories of other people who have joined the organization and, and grew with the organization, you know, and, and ultimately got careers. Yeah, it's so smart. So that was sort of a best practice that I think a lot of companies are either adopt, adapting or probably should look into is you're likely not going to find those individuals with the skills. And if you do, they may not be a cultural fit. So it's, a, it's kind of twofold. For me, I'm going to go with culture 100% of the time. So if you have the skills and you're not a cultural fit, I'm going to pass. I'd rather focus on someone that's good for our culture and develop them than the opposite. Because I think the opposite is going to really slow us down much more than it would to invest in that person who is a cultural fit, who wants to be here, and will appreciate the investments that the company is making. So we were very successful in that. We were able to support growth you know, recruit employees, and we were more productive, ran less scrap. All the metrics were heading in the right direction. At Kissel, you know, my main focus has been on culture first, training, and development. So as a team, we developed these core values uh, behind me. Uh, within a year, we've already used them for hiring, for holding team members accountable. And, you know, I'm having continuous conversations with the employees here on where their ambition, ambitions are, what are their goals, what do you want to be doing five years and some of them hadn't thought about it mm-hmm. but now now they are because i'm soliciting that information and and i'm listening i'm you know i know how important it is to really listen to what they're saying and then try to align that with a talent map that i'm creating to support our strategic plan and our growth goals and then you know my goal is to communicate that back is okay i heard you and here are the opportunities that may not be here now but that we think will be here in the next five years how do we how do we develop you so that you're best aligned to fit into that role when the time comes? My focus is always on promoting from within and developing teams from within. It's just great for culture, great for retention. Uh, you know the employee, you know everything about them. Uh, yep. It's a lot easier than hiring externally, but I also know how important it is to bring some external talent as long as they're a good cultural fit. It really complements the team because then you can utilize their skills to help and your other efforts. hundred percent. So from your perspective, I want to get your opinion on the current state of manufacturing in not only Ohio, but then the United States as well. No, I think manufacturing is very strong. Most companies are experiencing continuous growth. And from an employee standpoint, I think there's more opportunity now than at any point in my career. Uh, as people retire and companies growing at the same time and the skills that are needed, there's big voids there that people can step right into. I advocate for manufacturing. I have friends who have moved here from other states uh, to get into manufacturing jobs and are making a lot more money than they were in in other industries. So I think it's going to become challenging for other businesses to find employees because of the opportunity to manufacturing and the compensation. Yeah, and I don't think that has always been the case, right? Like that's changed, what, in the last five, 10 years? Has that shifted? Yeah, 
I think definitely in the last five, but I've seen it coming for at least the last 10. Got it. Okay, Miguel, this has been awesome. We got one last question for you, and it could be a breakfast, lunch, dinner spot. And it doesn't have to be in Parma, but it could be Northeast Ohio. If you can give free advertising, free press to your favorite restaurant in Northeast Ohio or Parma or Cleveland, what are you going with? What's your recommendation? Ooh, that's tough. It is tough. Can I do both? Yeah, you can have multiple answers. For lunch, um, since I'm in Parma now, it's between two places. There's the Schnitzel House. Mm. And then there's Misu Sushi. Oh, okay. Those two are my favorites locally. And then anywhere in the city, my go-to would be number one pho. Ah, nice. All right. Those are three good ones. Those are three good ones. Sushi and the Schnitzel Hat, those are two completely different lunches right there. Yes. I love it. Miguel, this has been great. We appreciate you coming on. We're going to enjoy following your your story as you go from, you know, 40 to 80. And best of luck, everything with you and your team, you know, throughout 2023 and beyond. I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you. And uh, the entire team there at Rust Belt Recruiting. Thank you for your support. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.